Today on the My Climate Journey Capital Series, our guest is Grant Mulligan, a vice president on the investment team focused on climate sustainability at Alvarium Tiedemann, also known as Alt-E. Alt-E is a global wealth and asset manager that's in the business of turning powerful ideas into high-performing strategies and solutions. Whether their clients are individuals or institutions, foundations, or family-led businesses, they offer a connected ecosystem of advice, solutions, and innovative investment opportunities from across their global network. I was excited for this one because Alt-E is an institutional investor that is serious about impact, and it's fascinating to dive into their approach, their origin story, how they think about impact, how they measure impact, how they staff the team to allocate impact capital across many different asset classes, and also what types of clients care about impact and how that landscape is shifting over the last few years and into the future. Before we start, I'm Cody Sims. I'm Yin Lu. And I'm Jason Jacobs. And welcome to My Climate Journey. This show is a growing body of knowledge focused on climate change and potential solutions. In this podcast, we traverse disciplines, industries, and opinions to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and all the ways people like you and I can help. Okay, Grant Mulligan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jason. Thrilled to be here. Uh, thrilled to have you. Uh, and it, it's it's funny, uh, and I know we were just talking before we recorded, but this is a new series f uh, focused on the climate capital stack. Uh, and we've had plenty of GPs on the show. We've had an LP or two uh, over the years, um, but we wanted to have a dedicated series to shine a light on all the different both types of capital that are available, but also just the different approaches from the different firms and the journeys of people to get there and what motivates the people that are actually doing the work uh, behind the the firms. And and so you and uh, Alvarian Tiedemann, did I get that right? The, the, the combined entity? Alvarian Tiedemann, that's right. Yep. Yeah. We're, we're uh, a brave guinea pig who uh, said yes very early in this series. Uh, and we're grateful that you're making the time to come on and, and share more about what you're up to. Yeah, well, we're we're really excited. We really believe in the uh, you know the ability to, for our clients to invest in climate sustainability for for impact and financial returns. And uh, I think the goal here, uh, if we're going to get to net zero world, is you need more capital coming into the space, doing good things, and more builders in the space. And we're uh, very proud of supporting that, and looking forward to kind of sharing our story and hopefully uh, encouraging others uh, to do the same and finding partners along the way. Great. So maybe maybe for starters, talk a bit about the overall firm. And then it'd be great just to give a little context on where you sit within the firm and where climate sits within the firm as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Alvarium Tiedemann or Alti for short is uh, a global investment advisor. What others might you know, know us as a multifamily office. And our clients are individuals or institutions, foundations or family-led businesses that come to us for advice, uh, solutions, and innovative investment opportunities from a global network. And so, you know, fundamentally what that means to, to me is that we, we help our clients invest their money to meet their goals. And those goals are very wide ranging. Um, so we have offices in 11 countries and serve a global clientele. Um, 
we have an asset management business that focus uh, offers kind of proprietary real real estate investment platforms and other kind of alternative platforms um, and investment opportunities, and then it provides a, a merchant banking as well. But I'm on the the wealth management side of the business, and in in that business, uh, we manage the majority of our clients' wealth across both private and public markets, uh, impact and non-impact. These are high net worth individuals um, and and organizations. Many of them, our clients, are foundations that are filling philanthropic in nature. We have estate and trust services, family governance services. Um, and then I really focus on our impact strategy. So I'm a vice president with the firm uh, focused uh, on one of our two kind of climate or two impact strategies, pardon me, uh, climate sustainability, and then the other being inclusive innovation, um, which you can think of as kind of our social impact offering. And uh, those are, are kind of talked about as two separate things, but they really um, are more of a spectrum that include gender and racial equity lenses when we invest access and affordability, um, equitable capital flows. And what I think kind of makes Alti special is the broad, our ability to kind of have a broad offering of a large firm with the focused attention of a boutique. And so we that kind of means that we have access to, uh, through our size, some of the best investments in the market, while also a focused impact team and others that can really help build kind of bespoke portfolios for clients with specific interests. And so I focus primarily on climate sustainability. And there we have two verticals decarbonization technology and nature-based solutions. And we're looking for investments that kind of fit our theory of change along those two verticals um, to make to make investments across many different types of um, asset classes. And so relative to a typical wealth management firm that talks about uh, portfolio construction and returns and risk and, you know, removing friction and trust and estate and a lot of the things that, that you just said, I mean, do you fit that profile or would you consider yourselves an, an impact firm? I think we definitely consider ourselves an impact firm, but not exclusively impact investing. And so our strategy would be, or kind of our thinking about that is there is no investment that doesn't have some sort of impact on the world. And it, for many of our clients, that's that could be impact on family relationships, um, wealth transfer over generations, the, uh, the, the local community that you live in. So our impact strategy were uh, roughly a $60 billion of assets under management for the overall firm. Assets that are dedicated to specifically and kind of exclusively impact investments are um, somewhere in the $5 billion range. So it's a portion of what we do, but not exclusive. And I think that part of what we we really talk about with our clients is ways to have impact with wealth um, in a number of different uh, kind of meanings and opportunities and, and climate sustainability being one of those. Uh-huh. And when it comes to families, foundations, and other types of clients that you work with, do you find that they care about impact more than a typical high net worth or ultra high net worth client? And is that a screening criteria or is it just for ones that happen to care, you have an offering for them and, and you have you know this huge portfolio, so there's something for everyone? I think that there's a little bit of there's something for everyone would, would be the starting place. We certainly don't screen clients and say, you know, to be one of our clients, you have to care about impact investing. And I think that this is where some of the in the in the conversation around climate sustainability, there's like either impact or there's financial returns in ways that I think may be unhelpful to the conversation writ large. And that there's opportunities that we have clients who are invested in what we call impact strategies that are not doing it for the impact, but they're doing it because of the portfolio diversification benefits that you mentioned or the financial returns component. And they love the idea that impact is a part of that and maybe 
have some predilection in going that direction because of impact. And then we have other clients who uh, are really care about having bespoke strategies that are built around their specific interests, like regenerative agriculture. And they want to know everything in our pipeline related to regenerative ag. They have very specific impact goals and targets. Um, and so historically, we've had clients, we've been at this kind of for decades, who were early adopters uh, in the divestment community. Um, we have many who now are taking actively, you know, measuring their carbon footprint in their portfolio and several that have made you know net zero climate commitments and so those are our most engaged kind of uh, clientele uh, around that um, but really I think about clients as at different stages of the journey on on impact some who are brand new and we're doing a lot of education at the very beginning about you know what what's the difference between concessionary impact and non-concessionary impact what are the opportunities how much of their portfolio would they like to dedicate to this and then others who are very 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 far along their journey and we're having much more sophisticated conversations about you know their their you know 10 year plan to get to net zero i know like when i sit down with my financial advisor they might say hey given your risk profile and your age and you know what you do professionally and stuff like that here's the mix that we recommend that you have in equities and here's the mix that we recommend that you have in you know fixed income or bonds uh, are you providing similar consultation as it relates to climate as a percentage of holdings and if so how does that work given that climate touches everything it touches early stage venture capital, it touches growth stage venture capital, it touches project finance, it, it touches private companies, public companies, uh, you know, land acquisition, divestment, shareholder activism, right? Like, how, how do you think about that on a, on a per family basis? That's a, that's a great question. So I think it it starts broad, it gets gets more narrow. So the first thing is, what is the client's goals? Is it is it wealth preservation? Is it you know growth of assets? You know, kind of aggressive. Is it uh, a, a you know more conservative approach? Like I mentioned for wealth preservation, is it impact first? We have clients who are are happy to give away the vast portions of their portfolios if they can make an impact. And so it really starts with like, what are your goals? And, and so, you know, you mentioned kind of talking to your financial advisor and it sounds like, well, here's kind of the traditional 60-40 split, what we recommend. You know, we have target portfolios for, for clients who are, um, you know, maybe want to be a little more aggressive, maybe a little more moderate, maybe want to be more conservative. We have target portfolios they can come into um, and we can get into different conversations with different groups of like, should you have 80% in kind of public markets liquid? Do you want 20% in private markets that uh, are less liquid? What are the the, the kind of the benefits and, and, and downsides of, of different strategies. So you, you talk about all of that. But when it gets into the impact piece and climate, there are certainly clients that we have that are, are part of the firm that are invested in climate and don't know it, so to speak. They wouldn't identify it as a climate investment, even though it, it fits our theory of change around climate. So it might be uh, they really care about the investing in the energy sector because they think that's a, a major growth sector and they are financing uh, you know, new development of renewable energy. They're just doing that because they think it's a good business and impact never really comes up. For other clients, and, and specifically the ones that I work with, it really starts with what 
are their goals and trying to understand what they care about. Are they investing for, uh, you know, impact today? Like someone might give to, uh, the example I use often is, is a food bank. You're worried about hunger today. Are they thinking about their, their, their children, their, their great grandchildren? Where are they in this journey? What are they, what are they managing for? What, what potential impact on society do they want to have with their wealth? Um, so it really comes from kind of understanding where they're at. And as I mentioned, they're kind of on a spectrum of, of goals and interests. And that's where we can get deeper in. We actually have an, an impact survey that clients fill out that advisors walk them through that really helps tease out what they care about, uh, you know, ask, ask questions. Um, and then it's really on the individual advisor to help clients put together their particular portfolio. Um, but in my role, I really try to exp- do a lot of education, right? Theory of change documents, blog posts, things of that nature to help clients understand what types of potential uh, investments are out there in climate and where they can uh, more proactively maybe allocate capital to make a difference in in climate. Uh, You've mentioned the theory of change that the firm has around climate a few times. I want to ask you about that. But before I do, I want to ask you about the Grant Mulligan theory of change, because you don't come from a wealth management background. You were at the Nature Conservancy, and yet here you are uh, at a a traditional wealth manager that has an impact sleeve. So um, how did you end up there and why? Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks for asking. It's a great, a great question. I, I get it a lot. Uh, it is a, a slightly different journey than many of my colleagues have taken to get to the, the wealth management. Um, I actually started my career as a wildlife biologist. Uh, I, I read Sand County Almanac as a kid gr- growing up. You know, spending my summers in Wisconsin, uh, saw it as required reading for a, a class in undergrad, and, and uh, signed up for that class simply because that book was required. After seeing it in the bookstore um, and, and having loved it, and realized that there was an opportunity to kind of go work in the field, be in nature and, and make, a, make a living at that. And so started my career there, uh, breeding endangered species for release back to the wild, um, but relatively quickly realized that working that far downstream on actually like trying to protect the last animals in the field uh, wasn't going to be enough for me. I wanted to go, you know, what were the upstream problems that were causing them to go extinct in the first place? And how do we work on those problems instead of trying to collect the last few from the field, you know, keep them alive in sufficient numbers um, to keep them from going to going extinct. And so from there, I went to the Yale School of the Environment, um, where I focused on the intersection of business and the environment and specific kind of environmental uh, economics, really trying to just understand what systems um, are, are kind of influencing our relationship to the environment, what's happening, what are, what are the different levers that we could pull. Uh, sustainability at the time, corporate sustainability was a, was a big part of that push. But I really kind of wanted to go deeper in my master's and understanding what, what was driving driving some of these um, unfortunate consequences um, for, for an environment that I cared a lot about and felt like I wasn't doing enough just in the field as, as great a job as that was, but I, I, I wanted to kind of see if I could, could move upstream. And so uh, from there, I was, I was fortunate enough after I graduated to join the Nature Conservancy, uh, where I had a variety of roles. And what really kind of the, the transition point for me was I joined a, a founding team within the Nature Conservancy that ultimately became part of NatureVest, the impact investing arm of the Nature Conservancy that was working on partnerships with institutional scale investment managers, uh, folks who managed real assets, farms and forests uh, throughout the world. 
And the, the goal was to basically to provide impact advisory services that could help these real asset um, operators manage these properties in ways that they could deliver conservation alongside market rate returns. And ideally that conservation and thinking about sustainability and uh, carbon markets or, or nature, water use, that all of those things might even be accretive to market rate returns. It could be kind of a competitive advantage trying to move capital into this space that was was um, aligned with with the conservation goals that the Nature Conservancy had, and so that was um, you know we started with you know zero dollars of you know uh, raised and, and you know our part you know tried to support our partners out through the different fundraisers and ended up having a number of different um, funds that we were we were supporting, but kind of all along uh, you know I I felt like I was still. I was kind of speaking a second language when talking about finance and economics, even though I was working with these private equity partners, you know, I was fluent in the science and conservation side. They were fluent in the finance and economic side. And I felt like despite the fact that philanthropy and government grants and these kind of innovative partnerships had a big role to play, I still felt like the fundamental barrier was we weren't getting enough capital into conservation, into nature, into climate. Like we needed to go faster. We needed other ways of doing this. We, we needed it to look different than it had before. And I needed to kind of better understand how those capital allocation decisions are actually made. I, I kind of I knew it was a problem, but I didn't understand really who was making those decisions, how and why. Uh, what were the criteria they were using? You know, what motivates capital flow in and out of the sector? And so to kind of test out this hypothesis that capital could flow into this if the story was presented in the right way, I was looking for opportunities where I could kind of get in on the inside. I could I could go into the capital allocator space and really get my hands dirty and understand, you know, what are the opportunities? What are the barriers? How is the story being told today? And and that's what really motivated the change for me. This kind of needed need to immerse myself in that part and become fluent. And so that's really what motivated me to come over to Alti, which had been a leader for a long time in allocating capital to impact very motivated clients um, in this space, but still felt like we weren't tapping the full potential and that there was a real growth opportunity here because of some some changes that we can talk about both in, in climate and also a major wealth transfer going on, um, the largest in history. And so between these different kind of categories, I felt like there was a real opportunity to come um, learn and figure out how do we really unlock capital for this space? Because I felt there were, there were things out there that were ready. Um, we just weren't getting the money to them. And just to flip that around. So what was Alti's pitch to you in terms of here's what we need. Here's here's the role. Here's why it matters. And here's why this is where you should park relative to any place else that you could go to achieve the objectives that you just stated. Yeah, I think what really appealed to me about Alti, it was it was Tiedemann at the time. So we just finished the merger with Alvarium, um, you know, and Tiedemann, one was their track record. I really got the sense that they weren't checking the box. They, they, what, this wasn't just impact to say that they did impact and try and have something flashy on their website that could a- attract some capital, but they had a really, really thoughtful approach and team um, that I, I really appreciated. And they had been on this journey for so long. I felt like I wouldn't have to come in from the very beginning and convince them this was even worth looking at, but that I could kind of help them uh, reach the next level, uh, if you will. And so additionally, they had been in, uh, Alti has been investing for quite some time in the energy transition, really getting more renewables, you know, onto the, onto the grid. 
but they hadn't done as much in nature-based solutions. And so I felt like there was something additive that I could bring as having worked in that space, worked at the Nature Conservancy, who you know I have deep respect for and think that the, 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 the teams there are doing absolutely incredible, innovative work in the space and felt like I had seen some of that and might be able to bring it over um, to, to, to what to what Tiedemann and, and Alti were, were doing. Um, and then the, the other one is, I think I saw in, in the way that they pitched it, a dedicated base of clients uh, quite large that were all in on impact and would give us a, a really strong toehold and foothold to go start doing things right away and allocating capital and kind of continuing with those clients on the journey. But I also saw a real eagerness that if we could get the right educational materials out the door, if we could really define a tight strategy, if we could define for um, advisors what impact meant and how they could tell that story with their clients, that we could bring a lot more capital into this. And the, you know, again, I'll, I'll reference and, and, you know, we can get into the, the major wealth transfer that's coming. The next generation clients, um, as, as this wealth transfer is going on, care so much about impact. And I, it just felt like we were on the cusp of a major change in terms of how impact could be allocated. And we could really be at the forefront for growing the business, Alti, um, in impact um, and being a landing spot for, you know, a great, great strategy for business development, bringing more people in, um, but also really uh, break down some of the barriers that clients were having and in getting in, into impact already um, and, and really get more capital allocated to the space. So it just seemed like a, an amazing opportunity uh, to really kind of test out some of my hypotheses with a group of dedicated people who, who believed in the same mission. So it'd be great to just double click on each of those. And, and I guess there's three on my list so far. One is you mentioned the big changes in climate. So what are those? Uh, one is uh, the wealth transfer. And we touched on it briefly. I don't know if you have anything to add there. And then the last is just better unpacking the, um, the Alt-E theory of change for climate. Yeah, great. I'm going to start with the wealth transfer because I think that I mentioned a couple times and, and I think it's a really important piece of what I see going on that informs the opportunity in climate. And so hopefully a good transition there. I think uh, $70 trillion in wealth is about to be transferred the, as the boomer generation is is, is transitioning um, uh, wealth is being handed off uh, entrepreneurs are exiting their businesses there is a, a shifting need in kind of what the next generation wants in terms of managing their wealth and a huge part of that is a like a pot they want a positive impact as kind of the central core of everything they do and that's something that that uh, that alti really believes in and so the next generation just kind of sees investing differently they want to invest with their value Use. They see what's happening in climate. They 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 see the 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 risks in front of us and the opportunities, and they want to be part of the solution. And so it's it's wealthy families, it's individuals, it's endowments and foundations. They're thinking about the future, and they're, they're thinking about their children and their grandkids, and passing this wealth on over time, and wanting to leave uh, that wealth um, for their for their their families, and also for you know for humanity. They want they want it to be a, a, a you know a good place to live in in the future. And and you know the way we talk about climate, uh, it doesn't always feel like that's going to be the case. And so they feel like this is a place that they could do some good with their wealth. And so what we're seeing 
seeing is a really positive change where 60% of millennials are actively using their impact or, or you know actively using impact investing strategies and 74% are defining themselves as philanthropist and so as this big transition is happening you're having people who uh, are less interested potentially in actively managed you know public equity strategies um, that may be a portion of what they do but they're really trying to align their 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 wealth with private investments and opportunities to do good in the world and they're trying to do that in both public and private markets and so I think it's um, that opportunity the changeover in these families the new the new the new um, kind of wealth holders um, many more of the wealth holders are going to be women they, they live longer they're inheriting this money um, just different things matter to different people and so there's a just a real opportunity here and i think that that gets into you know the the what's happening in climate right now i think your your listeners are, are very well aware i don't think i need to go into you know what is climate change and why does it matter and what are the risks um but i think one of the things that's really changing that we see is the the kind of massive focus on a policy level on an investment level for a net zero energy transition um there's falling costs for compute there's ai there's better sen sensors there's synthetic bi biology just huge changes that mean kind of like from climate tech investing 1.0 maybe a decade ago to now i think we have tailwinds that have kind of never been seen you know we, we're in a persistently higher inflation um situation which makes real assets like forestry and agriculture attractive in new ways and so i think between this wealth transfer the the urgency of climate change to get capital out the door and really solve these problems and the the opportunity that we're seeing for investment um it, it, you can be uh, in some ways impact agnostic like th these things are going um you know the, the renewable energy that's being deployed all of that needs financing all of that needs businesses behind it um consultants behind it you know uh, enabling technologies behind it uh, all of those strategies those two things move together to create i think real opportunity and so if a family or a foundation or whoever, you you sit down with them or their uh, financial advisor sits down with them or, or team uh, and and they say, okay, so we'll allocate it this way and that leaves, you know, X percentage for climate. And so there's pick a number, 20 million, 50 million, $100 million, whatever the number is, is gonna go towards climate. Uh, within climate, as we kind of touched on before, there's, um, there's so many different areas and each of them has their own expertise, has their own risk profile. So how do you structure that within the firm when you're doing that, that allocation? Do, do, is it the climate team works with the, you know, the alternatives team or the fixed income team or, or that, or, or is, is, the, is there an impact team that looks across all asset classes? So the impact team looks across all asset classes. So I look at everything from, you know, a deep tech seed stage uh, venture uh, in the space to uh, private equity firms that are scaling uh, improving technologies and bringing them to market. Um, you know, we're looking for, you know, secular trends that show, you know, what different growth opportunities are out there. We have catalytic investments that might be in a CDFI or a mutual bank that does uh, kind of low rate lending to people who want to switch to organic, let's say, if, you know, a farmer, and they, they need some, some capital, some debt capital that would allow them to do that. We have opportunities to invest in that. So the impact team really looks across it. And I think one of the important things is uh, that you mentioned your question that to, to be clear on is 
I tend not to think about it as there's all this money and some of it goes to everything else and then a sliver of it goes to climate. We really try and think about, for many of our clients, what we call total portfolio acti activation. So in the public markets, it might look like negative screens um, and, and making sure that you're not investing in you know, oil companies, oil and gas, if, if that is not aligned with your values. We have some positive engagement strategies um, to try and get uh, people to adopt more rigorous in environmental standards or reporting. Um, and then in the private markets, we have a number of different ways that they can invest. And so there can be uh, open-ended funds that are diversified, you know, and uncorrelated with stocks and bonds. There are there are all that kind of asset classes that I mentioned previously. And so climate does not have to be a small sliver that we're working with. It can really be activated across an entire portfolio and every asset class. And so what we sit down then is across that whole mix, and depending on where clients are at on their journey, what do they want? We have some. Um, Occasionally, we'll do a an, an internal fund or an SPV that allows clients to come in through like a single allocation and get some broad diversification, or it might be um, you know looking for direct investments in in very particular uh, areas. Some want uh, have higher risk profiles, and so we might weight them a little bit more towards venture. Other clients might be a little bit more conservative, and we might we might push them a little bit more to established technologies, um, private equity strategies um, that aren't taking technology risk. They're really taking execution risk. And with things like the Inflation Reduction Act um, and, you know, strong track records from our managers, there's tailwinds to support them and, and, and think that the risk return profile is, is better balanced to what they need. Um, so when we sit down to talk to clients about this, it's not just a single one-time conversation. It's a conversation that's rolling through their, you know, decade-long um, engagement with us uh, as clients where we're constantly reevaluating and understanding what their goals are, what the opportunities are and, and allocating capital accordingly. Hey everyone, I'm Yin, a partner at MCJ Collective, here to take a quick minute to tell you about our MCJ membership community, which was born out of a collective thirst for peer-to-peer -peer learning and doing that goes beyond just listening to the podcast. We started in 2019 and have grown to thousands of members globally. Each week, we're inspired by people who join with different backgrounds and points of view. What we all share is a deep curiosity to learn and a bias to action around ways to accelerate solutions to climate change. Some awesome initiatives have come out of the community. A number of founding teams have met, several nonprofits have been established, and a bunch of hiring has been done. Many early-stage investments have been made, as well as ongoing events and programming, like monthly women in climate meetups, idea jam sessions for early-stage founders, climate book club, art workshops, and more. Whether you've been in the climate space for a while or just embarking on your journey, having a community to support you is important. If you want to learn more, head over to mcjcollective.com and click on the members tab at the top. Thanks and enjoy the rest of the show. When it comes to assessing these vehicles, putting impact aside, is the assessment probably pretty typical relative to other firms that don't have an impact mandate and then impact gets, gets layered in or, or is it a different uh, type of evaluation process? Yeah, great question. So it gets back to your question on theory of change, which I, I didn't answer in the previous one. So I can do that here is um, our theory of change. We have a theory of change written for our overall climate sustainability strategy as or kind of an overview of our climate sustainability strategy. strategy. And then we have um, theory of change documents for both decarbonization technology and nature based solutions. And 
they're relatively modest to what you might see in a, a, a you know a, a university situation or, or something but they're like 10 page deep dives into these sectors what are the global trends what are the investment opportunities and then we we have um, we go deeper into specific strategies within that so take uh, decarbonization technology for instance our our theory of change there is really uh, focused on four of the five major emitting sectors right there's energy there's transportation there's industry there's the built environment and then you know the fifth one kind of food and agriculture that fits under our nature-based solutions so we have all of those and we look at the numbers and we say you know transportation is roughly let's say 16 percent of, of global emissions but it's giving it's getting 61 percent of you know venture investment in the space okay that means that our capital probably can't be super additional in that capacity but the built environment is getting is really overlooked and here's why we think this is going to be a major driver of growth um, uh, for the sector what the opportunities are for climate and we start with in our theory of change our kind of guiding light is a focus on getting to net zero we are trying to you know, drive emissions down to zero, and ultimately we want our nature-based solutions to be uh, uh, you know, carbon sink so we can start pulling um, carbon out of the air, right? And get us back to an equilibrium that works a little bit better atmospherically. And so what we fundamentally believe is that that requires, our, our theory of change requires three things, scaling existing technology, building new technology, and making better use of the planet's natural carbon sequestration resources. And so within those three, we're looking for the right asset class, the right investment opportunity, what's gonna, what's gonna help us get to net zero within each of these. So as we, so that's kind of the first cut. If you, if when we're looking at impact strategies, if you can't help us achieve kind of one of those goals, it doesn't make the cut. Even if the financial performance is, is strong, um, you know, our, our, our impact strategies are really focused on do we think our capital can be additional in driving towards net zero? That's, that's the first cut. But then when we do diligence, it, and this is the value of kind of what I was saying before about what I think makes Alti kind of special is the size of a big firm that can operate a bit like a boutique. We have all of the investment um, team and and processes that are used to going really deep on diligence. What's a, a manager's track record? Um, you know, what's the operational due diligence? We tend to invest alongside a lot of uh, family offices um, for some of our smaller venture strategies. For instance, where we are the we might be the largest LP in the fund, if not by percentage of assets um, or, or percentage of the fund, certainly by the assets that we have and our expertise and doing diligence and operational due diligence. And so we can provide a, a really high standard in that regard from our, our kind of long-term investment experience that extends well beyond impact. So managers that are um, not meeting kind of our typical criteria, they don't make it either. So we were able to kind of keep a very high bar for, for what makes it into our impact strategy that we think offers uh, strong financial performance or you know and high impact. Um, and then we do say, I should add that there are times where we bring the same diligence rigor, but where they're purely impact-focused strategies. We we recognize that they may not return anything. Our clients may be happy with a zero percent return if it can be truly catalytic. Um, but we're still making sure that these you know managers are you know not committing fraud and that we're comfortable with the, the way that they're keeping track of their money and doing all of those things. So it's really bringing the two uh, different expertise uh, pieces of expertise together at the same time. And when you look across the uh, portfolio of clients that you have, uh, given some of the recent uh, turbulence or correction or whatever words you want to assign to um, uh, some of the recent market changes and 
and conditions. Uh, how have you seen their perspectives on impact and on asset allocation as it relates to impact evolve, if at all? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I think right now the most acute challenge, and I think not just for us, but for everybody is, let's say that you want to have 20%, if you're a client, you want, you want 20% of your portfolio going to private investments. If your total portfolio has gone dr- down dramatically because the 80% that's in the market has, has gone down um, significantly as the market downturns, that means that you just have less available to, for, for private allocations while keeping that balance that you want to have. So the, the acute challenge right now, with, without a doubt, is some of our client, you know, there are there are clients who are over allocated to private right now and are slowing down their giving for a period uh, investments in private markets for a period of time. Um, but what we find is that the um, excitement around climate, the conviction that clients have around it, has not waned at all. Uh, we uh, constantly have new clients coming in uh, to the firm, which which provides capital to go into some of these investments. And uh, you know, these are many of our clients. Uh, their portfolios are not static, meaning that they are having major wealth events because they sell a business or, you know, something dramatic changes in, in their in their wealth. It's not like we have one uh, pot of money for the clients that we manage from perpetuity and there's no in, kind of incoming and outgoing. And so it gives us the opportunity to make some changes to their allocation throughout time. But that, that denominator effect, we call it, of just the portfolio's overall uh, shrinking in the in the market is is certainly a uh, a real concern and consideration. But the, the excitement excitement is still there and, and um, you know, we're, we're building off of that. I forgot to ask, Grant, from a timeline standpoint, so um, so was the firm active in climate investing back before it was called climate investing in uh, clean tech 1.0? They they were so the firm Tiedemann and and the now kind of Alvarium Tiedemann has grown dramatically through a series of mergers and different groups brought different expertise along the way. Um, but one of those groups was the the Threshold Group, which was a private family office um, that has been investing in these strategies uh, for many years. And many of the team that are are still uh, with the organization now. I can't remember the exact date. Forgive me for um, when that that merger took place. Um, but I think it's approaching a decade decade now, they've been investing in the space s- since that time and are continuing to do so. And what's the firm's view on the postmortem from that last wave? And what changes have you made, if any, in your investing approach as things uh, pick up again in climate? Yeah. So having been with Alti for less than a year, I, ca- I can't speak too articulately to, to how that has evolved entirely. Um, I do know that one of the the benefits of kind of being part of the larger firm is access to a number of different types of investments. So I think there's quite a bit of waiting now to, um, you know, beyond venture um, into private equity strategies that can really scale within the, the scale renewables and, and the energy transition. Um, there are strategies in sustainable real assets to uh, electrify fleets to um uh, to invest in nature-based solutions, which was a piece of what was happening at the firm for a while, kind of slowed down a little bit after the merger. And now with my kind of coming onto the firm is is growing. And I think that the the macro environment is really, really beneficial um, 
for that type of change, you know, following the 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 Great Recession in 2008, interest rates are really low. The the some of the benefits of investing in sustainable real assets, the the return profile uh, may not has been been as good. But now with much higher interest rates, with the benefits of the cash flow and kind of cash yielding strategies from say sustain, sustainable Timberland, um, those strategies are. Um, uh, attractive from both a financial and, and impact strategy, especially when you start layering in uh, carbon markets and kind of what we see developing there. You know, I think last year, 2001, the, the you know, they think that the the, the market uh, was over a billion dollars in carbon, you know, credits and, and, and trading for the first time. We see that that market growing substantially into the future. And so that gives us kind of a new angle, a new way to invest in some of these strategies um, that, that offers new opportunities for upside and impact along the way. Uh, one question uh, that raises for me is, I mean, we talked about net zero uh, and um, that being a core part of your theory of change. Uh, there, there seems to be a difference between net zero on paper versus true net zero. And then there's a lot of debate about which things are tr quote unquote true and and which things are uh, you know are, are are just shuffling paper around. So when it comes to impact, are you generally looking to screen managers and their ability to assess that properly? Or is that expertise that you're building up in-house? And, and, and how, who owns what uh, when it comes to those manager relationships in terms of uh, validating that the, these companies are actually having the impact that they aspire to have and that they, they plan to have? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. So we do a lot of impact reporting in house for our clients. They get a yearly impact report, and so we have a, a, a you know uh, several of us on, on the team um, are very focused on on getting that impact reporting right and making sure that we're not double counting and that we really understand what the impact is. We work with a lot of our uh, GPs that we want it to be a partnership and understanding what are their impact metrics, um, how how do they how do they uh, manage these. We want to be careful that we don't get overly involved in 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 the the minutia of exactly how they need to measure their portfolio companies let's say in venture um, understanding that they they are the experts in their strategy and, and their thesis but we do come to it with a, with a very clear point of view so for instance in the carbon markets right now we are not actively buying and selling uh, carbon offsets we are under we're watching how this market is playing out we're developing kind of some points of view one of the things that we know we're not interested in doing is is going into strategies with improved forest management practices, let's say, that we think aren't really changing the game. Uh, if you're a forestry fund who's talking about developing carbon credits, but the way that you plan to do that is simply not harvesting, you know, trees that you didn't plan to harvest anyway, um, because they were, you know, on slopes, it would have been uneconomical to, to harvest them. Like, we're not particularly interested in strategies that do that. We want something that's, that's new and innovative, and you can really show additionality in changing practices that take advantage of this. And so I think that some of the strategies that we expect to um, see early on are going to be strategies where carbon is not a pure play. It's not the the sole driver of of returns for the particular strategy, but it's it's an upside play. And so uh, we're looking at some of the the opportunities um, in that in, in that space. But really, it's a it's an evolving field in, in terms of metrics. Um, but I think it's getting better and better. And as reporting standards um, uh, become evolve and become more commonplace, we're really hoping that uh, we can kind of be pushing the sector uh, to, to be more transparent. Uh, to, to be more standardized. It's just not quite there yet. 
I mean, there, there's debate in the climate world around, you know, do you want more shots on goal or do you want to pick the right ones and then focus and then back up the truck and really go deep into those and like block out the noise? I kind of want to ask a similar question around managers, right? Because you talk about additionality. And so, look, you can you can earn your way into accessing the most in-demand managers that are wildly oversubscribed that no no new LP can get into because all the existing LPs are just going to keep you know gobbling up um, allocation in subsequent funds, uh, or you can try to catalyze new managers that might not otherwise get get access to capital. What are your thoughts on that? And also, how do you balance additionality with just like putting up the goods? One, I will say again, this is this is what's great about being a big impact practice and having many clients that are interested in this is we can do a little bit of all, uh, all of the above. We can have those managers who have track records that are on fund five, six, seven, you know, have a really proven um, kind of thesis that seems to work and strategy that seems to work that are are putting capital to 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 use kind of on a consistent basis that we think is is per, you know having a great impact. And but we also have what we call like an emerging managers bucket. And this tends to be a lot of client-directed investment where I tend to go out into the marketplace and I try and meet uh, fund managers who I think are doing things in new, innovative ways. And then I bring those to clients and I say, hey, I think there's something special cooking here. It's there's no, tra I don't have a track record of three funds to go on, but I think that what they're doing, their competitive advantage, their strategy, their their experience in the field, their their sourcing, something about what what that fund has cooking up makes them an emerging manager that we want to get into before they become that GP that that you know just sticks with their existing LP base and doesn't go. So we're actively trying to put money into those strategies. And so, for example, you know, not naming funds specifically, but we've done some of that in regenerative agriculture recently that's that's been a real strategy where i think people are taking a new kind of holistic approach to what's happening through the food and agriculture sector and some of the different opportunities there and we see technology and um you know remote sensing capabilities and data the chance to go from kind of analog systems to digital systems uh, in a real way working across atoms to bytes like that are really really interesting that maybe some of the the big existing gps aren't doing as much of or aren't willing to take some of those chances on. And so again, it's like, it's the real benefit of having a big impact practice is that we can do a kind of all of the above um, and really do things that are truly catalytic. And we think like there aren't other funders like us in there. It's people who are, you know, angel investing and, and putting things in on a dream. And we're going, no, we actually see something really differentiated here that we want to get behind. Um, and then also the, the, the kind of bigger categories that, um, you know, many investors are used to. So there's another thread I want to pull on, and there's a few different ways I could hit it. So I might I might try one yeah. or two. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. I mean, look, you're like you, Grant, are impact driven, right? It's it's clear. I mean, even based on your history and the way you've navigated your own uh, career path, how do you balance uh, servicing existing demand amongst your clients versus generating new demand, and and how do you view your role? within the firm and even as a firm in that regard around causes or impact areas that really need more focus and that would be better for the world. Like, uh, I mean, you can't put the collective good ahead of the good of your clients, obviously, um, but at the same time, to the extent you can align those, it's, it's better for everyone. But but where, where does education fit into all of this? Edu I would say education, I actually view as one of the core components of my, my job. Um, so 
I don't think it's enough to just do fund manager research and, and kind of bring things in for the, the available capital. Like we need more capital coming into this. Like that is absolutely clear. And that is my North Star. And I really believe that it's what's going to be a driver for the growth of our business and for the impact that we want to have on the world. We have to get more capital into this. So some of that more traditionally might look like education materials for new clients so that we can get impact aligned clients into the business. But it's also, I spend a lot of time with our advisors who may have, you know, 30, 40 years experience in, uh, you know, building portfolios for the clients, but aren't really sure how to bring up impact to clients they've had all along or somewhere along the way their client said, I'm not really interested in impact, maybe without fully understanding what that means. And so I'm, you know, we have a, um, maybe by the time this airs, I'm not sure in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be releasing a blog post that's kind of like the portfolio benefits of climate sustainability for non-impact clients. If you don't identify oh, I love that, I you love know, that, you know, if you, if you don't, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't view yourself as kind of a self-identified impact investor, that's okay. What I want you to be paying attention to is Inflation Reduction Act. I want you to be paying attention to geopolitical risks and why, you know, uh, Europe is you know, making such a fast energy transition and what's happening in that regard. What is China investing in? Like we can tell the, I think the climate story from a pure macro kind of secular changes going on. And so I'm trying to find these clients where they are and really lay out education opportunities for them. And then I would say the other big piece that what the, the fund is uh, advancing that is not really a, a distinction between impact and non-impact is endowment style investing. For many of our clients, it's just been a you know 60-40 split. That's what most people are kind of familiar with is 60% of their you know investment should go into stocks, 40% into bonds. We're bringing more of the Yale portfolio style to clients and thinking beyond that, what, how does private equity, private credit, real estate, hedge funds, real assets, how does this all come into play? And what that allows you to do, I think a little bit, is investing for the very long term. And this is where I think our clients drive for impact. Um, it has a real opportunity to bring more money into the field is investing for climate is investing for returns today, but it's also investing for the world you want to see generations from now. And endowments and wealth preservation are really meant to to, to sustain wealth over over generations as well. And so I think you get a really beautiful alignment between the goals of the clients and their, their kind of long-term orientation and the long-term orientation of the impact that we're trying to provide. Now there's urgency and there's things that we're getting out the door because capital needs to get there today to avoid the, the, the biggest challenges. But I think these stories align very well. So I would say I spend... It's hard to say exactly, but I would say 50-50 between me trying to really do education for advisors, for clients, in writing, in doing things like the My Climate Journey podcast and really explain how um, you know clients of, uh, like ours can can make an impact in the space. And then the, the real diligence and going out to the managers and trying to go, okay, what fits that theory of change? What fits where our clients are on that journey? And how can we bring things into the uh, kind of onto our platform that uh, that clients can get behind Coming back to what you were talking about before around additionality in this emerging manager bucket. So emerging manager in itself is zany because it isn't in the box because in the box would, would be, you know, the traditional way with a track record, right? That's like the fully in the box, right? But then there's the emerging manager without a track record, but then everything else could be in the box as it relates to like approach and portfolio construction and, and things like that. And then there's some firms, you know, it could like, 
Y Combinator is an example, like with their with their fund, or uh, you know maybe a seed fund in, in traditional tech that's got a you know large portfolio construction, or um, you know these like these new funds. I saw one that um, you know was uh, you know providing like like service provider, but take, taking a you know but but like it's like sweat equity, right? And instead of just just dollars or, or like blended with dollars. Um, uh, so there's these different approaches. What other kinds of zany things might be in play or exciting to you? And then what kinds of zany things are, are non-starters for you guys as a firm? One of the things that I've been looking for that I don't see as much, and I wouldn't even call it zany, but I think it's it's hard and people haven't figured out how to apply it quite yet, is open-ended funds are particularly interesting to me. I think the classic model in, in private markets is your 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 ten year fund, two uh, percent management fee, twenty percent carry. You, you know, execute your strategy for three or four years, make investments. After you have about half the fund deployed, go raise your next fund, and you just kind of keep this on a consistent cycle. And that's a that's a tried and true. That's a good strategy. We we invest behind that strategy. But open-ended funds have a number of potential advantages for deploying capital on a somewhat more regular basis over a long time horizon. Clients can put money, more money in on a consistent basis instead of the one time to get into the fund at the very beginning, you know, the first 18 months before the fund closes. Um, there's real tax efficiencies behind it. Um, there, And then I think the, the other piece that goes along with that is, is again, what I was talking about, the kind of long-term orientation. You end up with something that's cash generative, tax advantage, uh, good for a return perspective that you never need to sell. And so, you know, in, in so much of the, the private equity right now, you build something really great, but then you have to sell it. And our clients are long-term. And so, so to match long-term's investment with that can be really helpful where you never then have to sell the great business. You can just kind of forever use those cash flows to be invested in high rates. Um, you're better off if you don't have to sell. Maybe sometimes you need to sell, you move the, the portfolio around, you, um, um, it doesn't have to be static by any means, but I think it's it's a strategy where you can be better if you hold things over the long term. And I think that's just really, really well aligned with an impact focus. So that's one thing that, frankly, we don't see a lot of. And if I saw more of, it'd be it's, it's much easier to put capital into that structure, in part because it's more liquid um, than, than a 10-year fund that kind of locks it up for that 10-year period. And so strategies like that are really interesting. I wouldn't necessarily call it zany, but I don't think it's been applied to as many uh, maybe markets and strategies as it could be that we'd love to see um, some more. I'm trying to think of strategies that we're like absolutely out on. Um, you know, there's we're pretty open minded. I think I, I take a lot of meetings with people who are willing to think of things in kind of different ways. I think some of the the catalytic investments are are interesting in some that are um, FDIC protected. You know, you can put a quarter million dollars you know into a bank that that loans money out, and it's one of the things I like that some of those strategies do is they let the investor kind of pick the interest rate. They can go anywhere from like six percent to zero percent, and it's, an, it's really interesting how many clients choose to be on the lower end. They want that money to be catalytic. And so, fi you know, finding ways to get money um, into that. Um, and then we have, you know, strategies on the platform where I think this goes to our kind of inclusive innovation piece 
where there's a lot of people who are unbanked or shut out of these systems or don't have access to capital. And I think we are much more willing to, you know, work with, um, you know, BIPOC populations and, and, and others to really get capital those places because we think there are great ideas coming out of that space and out of that sector that um, maybe there's not as much attention being paid to. And so I think that we see it as a real opportunity to do good in the world, uh, partner with great, you know, uh, great organizations and teams um, and on strategies that are bringing uh, access to capital uh, to places where it hasn't always um, been as freely available. And I'm, I'm sure this varies a lot on a client by client basis, but for the clients that do care about impact, how many ideas that you're deploying capital against come from the client versus uh, coming from you? And or or because or, I guess there's different ways you could also come from a client. And you say, wait a minute, that's a good idea. Like it might be relevant to these other clients as well. But how does it typically go if there is a typical? I absolutely love when clients bring me deals, and you know they're out there in their networks. We have people who deeply, deeply care about these issues and they're, they're tight and they may work in the field, they may work in the industry and they, they know who's good. And so there, it's very much a two-way conversation. And then I think, again, this goes to kind of the, one of the, the, the central themes of our conversation is that our clients are really along a spectrum of goals and interests and we're able to, um, you know, with our firm support all of them. So I think um, some, everything we do is tailored to the client and some clients want our best ideas and are happy to follow with whatever solutions we come up with. So I have a number of clients where I'm just bringing things to the platform and to our advisors and they're putting they're putting the clients in. They know what their clients care about. Um, it might be, you know, some of the diversified access funds that we talked about. We have ways um, that, that we have clients who are like, I'm all in on impact, but you guys just take care of it. You, you go. And then we have others who I have uh, with one client, for instance, who's deeply interested in regenerative agriculture. We have um, pretty regular, uh, I'd say monthly to six week check ins to talk about what we're seeing in the pipeline, what's out there, what's going on. Um, the best ideas make it onto the platform for many clients to invest in. And then there's others where we might do um you know, client directed investment where we can handle all the paperwork, we can help get them into the fund. We have the relationship to be able to do that, but it's going to be on kind of like that individual client basis that's really going to come in. So it really spans the spectrum. And is the is the client? I'm not sure if I'm going to use the right wording here. I'll show my uh, my newness to uh, institutional investing, but. Um, uh, is is the climate always the ultimate decision maker, or is there are there is there any capital that you're deploying that's fully discretionary? And is that also is that the right word? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, great question. So the the clients that I was kind of mentioning that uh, really trust us to just bring our best ideas forward and they follow along with that that tends to be what I would call you know you could call more discretionary capital. It's at it's at the firm's discretion where that goes. We have a number of other clients who I would put it in the non-discretionary bucket, meaning that we present them with the idea. They have, uh, got, you know, for many of our foundations, for instance, they might have three board meetings a year and the board has to approve that strategy to to go into the portfolio. Their foundations, they have, you know, mandates, they have governance structures. Um, and we want to make sure that we're, you know, obviously aligned with, with those. And so we'll bring our best ideas forward. Some clients are... Um, it's non-discretionary and that they have to approve, but they're they're trusting our best ideas. And then we have others who really want to get in the weeds with us and really understand why did we pick this one among the 15 in that sector that we looked at and they want to go much deeper. And so 
it really kind of again, you know, it, I don't want it to be a cop out answer, but it really runs it runs the gamut for clients, and that that I think is one of the the core things we're trying to build here is a narrative around climate sustainability strategies that are informed by science that shows clients at different stages of the journey how climate sustainability benefits can impact their portfolio, whether that's through their total, total portfolio act, activation or it's their very first investments in the space. And I, I want to ask you a two-part question, and we're, uh, we're, we're nearing the end here, but, uh, but one is, um, if you could change one thing that would uh, enable you to recommend more impact investments with full conviction to your clients, what would that be? Like, what's missing? Uh, and then same question in terms of uh, just having a higher batting average of better reception of the things that you do recommend. Yeah, it's a great question. And it goes back to, I think, what you asked of, are we just serving our kind of impact clients as they exist? Or are we trying to widen the pool? And it gets to, you know, you talk a lot about like waving the magic wand. What would you what would you wave to kind of change anything? And, and I think is the spirit of this question is, I think that there's a real opportunity to be optimistic. And I, I talk to a lot of clients and I, I try to understand what they care about. And while it's not exclusively true, almost all clients talk to me about making a better world in, in some capacity. And I think, you know, that could be for tomorrow, that could be for their kids, their grandkids, like we already talked about. But I think that that desire for a better world really stems from a belief that the world is not in great shape today, but it's fundamentally hopeful because you have to believe that you can make the world a better place to want to do that, to put your capital behind it. And I think that some of the more apocalyptic messaging around climate change, which is a great catalyst for many people. And, you know, if there's an alarm bell to be rung, it, you know, it needs to be rung. But I think we're getting to the stage where I have so many clients who want to make an impact that are fundamentally builders at heart. And if you want to be a builder, you have to be fundamentally optimistic. You have to see a problem and believe it's solvable, that there's a, there's a pathway to fixing it. And so I think there's some excitement in the field that is warranted that you can, as technologies and mindset shift, as kind of opportunities abound, I, I, I think that there are ways to make people feel like through their investments that they're not just... Um, uh, solving crises, but they, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, fighting a lost cause, but that their money really can make a difference in the space. And I, I, I see that telling the story to clients and using that as a motivator to get them in, it's not painting an overly rosy picture. We still have big problems to solve and we've got to solve them. Um, you know, they're hard problems, but I think that, um, you know, problems are inevitable, and but we have to believe they're solvable. And I think that if I could kind of, bring one thing to my clients it's more strategies that are like look this is this is not just pure hopeful way out into the future but there's scaling technologies there's new technologies out there that really can um you know make the world a better place a few other uh questions and then we can wrap one is just i mean talking to you uh is a breath of fresh air in terms of you know if i had a big pool of assets and was trying to and i cared a lot about climate and was trying to figure out how to allocate it across different asset classes and things like that. Like the kind of help and the role that you guys are playing is 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 so important. Uh, who's doing that for philanthropy? Do you do that for your clients for their philanthropy as well? Or, uh, uh, and if not, does that exist? 
Yeah. So many of our clients, it's philanthropic capital that we're managing. They are foundations or um, endowments, um, fa- family offices dedicated to to philanthropic causes. So it's are you doing? The, are you managing the grants and the and the investments, or only the investment piece? It it varies by client. I um. It, it varies by client. We have different capacities that we can do for, for, for different clients. And, you know, we certainly bring in a lot of partners who can help with philanthropy, but we do advise, um, you know, certainly some clients on the philanthropic portion. And so we view them as kind of two sides of the same coin. We don't believe that investing in climate sustainability is a silver bullet. And so put all your money into the things that can get market rate returns. We really do believe that there is value in philanthropic capital. And so one of the things I try and provide um, is be because I come from the NGO world, um, the non you know the nonprofits, and, and working at the Nature Conservancy is what strategies have I seen that work? Where might you want to put some capital behind this um, and really understand the causes that matter to our clients? Um, but it's a full kind of spectrum offering that we have, and we, we certainly think about philanthropic capital as part of the solution. And then the last question is kind of two parts. One is just for anyone that's listening that's inspired and that might want to be a client, just what makes a good client profile and who might you want to hear from? And then same question about who might you want to hear from outside of clients, since it sounds like you are trying to get yourselves up to speed to inform your clients. So maybe there's perspectives out there that might be helpful for you. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. I I really appreciate that. So I think um, for our clients, you know, we uh, service a wide range of kind of high net worth individuals um, that work in this space. Like I said, I'll just repeat that our clients are individuals, their institutions, their family offices, family led businesses, foundations, um, you know, generally, you know, many ultra high net worth individuals who want to make a difference in the space. Um, you know, we'd love to talk to them. And, and it's, it's easy to find us online at, at Alti Global, um, uh, you know, Varian Tiedemann, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a link in the, in the show notes or something, you know, easy, easy to find us um, as, as far as that goes. And, you know, we're really trying to be, as you said, um, you know, who do we want to talk to? We're trying to be an ideas company. We, we are not just checking a box. We are trying to move the conversation forward. So one that I mentioned is I would love to talk to uh, more people who are doing blended finance who have opportunities for clients to come in in a catalytic way to go get more projects done on the ground. I see a lot of opportunity in uh, uh, avoided conversion, uh, debt for nature swaps, um, you know, a, a restoration projects on a big scale where we have clients who want to do projects in their backyard and places that really matter to them. The financing kind of hasn't worked out yet. How do we get a fund around that? So uh, I can't go due diligence on each individual deal, uh, that doesn't work. But if someone can figure out a way to roll those up and has ideas about how to do that, I'd really love to hear it. And then I think the other one I mentioned was the open-ended funds. Really interested in open-ended opportunities um, in in sustainable real assets. What can we go put capital into that we can put capital into on a revolving basis? And what I like about that as well is strategies then can evolve. You can go try things and experiment and learn what's working in the carbon markets, what's working from improved forest management practices or or other you know regenerative soil um, practices. We can see what's happening on the ground. We can measure it in real time and over years and continue to adapt together and grow and see what works. And we have the type of patient capital that is uh, interested in those type of strategies. So um, hopefully that's a, a you know a, a enough there. And and we, you know of course always interested in people who are doing any those ten year funds too. It's it's not exclusionary. You know if you've got cool ideas and you think you got a differentiated strategy, uh, we of course want to hear from you. 
Great. And Grant, anything I didn't ask that I should have or any parting words? I just think that this is one of those spaces where I am really excited. And it goes to what I was saying before about be optimistic a little bit. I think there's a real opportunity to shift kind of the environmental side of this and the climate side of this from telling people what they can't do to what they really can do and what you can build and what you can really tell an exciting um, uh, story about. And so I'm really on a mission to kind of help spread that story with our clients and the the broader investment community. And and I'm really hoping that if we're successful, we're going to have a very positive impact on the world and, you know, help people make money along the way. I I think that 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 can be that it's okay that that's a part of it. Um, But I'm, I'm really bullish on the 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 kind of impact opportunity we have ahead of us and, and the changes I'm seeing in, in these market trends and, and changeover in capital. And I'm just really excited that they get to work with uh, you, Jason, and, and others in the field to, to really advance us forward. I, I think we're on the cusp with something really um, fantastic here. Well, I second the motion. Uh, and I can't thank you enough, Grant, for uh, for the work that you're doing. It's, it's important work and it's a refreshing perspective, but also... Uh, for taking the time and for being willing to to share your work with me and with uh, with listeners as well. A lot of LPs are still pretty skittish about that. And you guys were excited about the opportunity and uh, it, it means a lot to us. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, this is a collaborative space. We're, we're all in it together. We, we got to share our lessons and stories or uh, we're never going to get the changes that we want. So happy to be a part of it. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us on the My Climate Journey podcast. At MCJ Collective... We're all about powering collective innovation for climate solutions by breaking down silos and unleashing problem-solving capacity. If you'd like to learn more about MCJ Collective, visit us at mcjcollective.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, let us know that via Twitter at mcjpod. For weekly climate op-eds, jobs, community events, and investment announcements from our MCJ Venture Funds, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website. Thanks, and see you next episode.